Hello, and welcome to episode number 198 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is author Shelley Lawrenston. Now, I tried really hard to keep myself together during this interview, but I have to tell you that before we connected on Skype, I was levitating in my chair because I am so excited to have this interview. I'm so excited to finally share it with you. I barely kept my cool while I was doing it, and I'm barely keeping my cool talking about it now. We talk about the book that brought Shelley into writing paranormal romance. We talk about how her mother inspired her heroines. And we also discuss writing badass sisterhoods in romance, exploring different paranormal romance series, and my favorite part, identifying the elements of alpha women. There's also reminiscing about Kate Duffy, who was one of Shelley's original editors at Kensington. And we talk about some seriously scary books that she reads for research. We also have news about Call of Crows book three and who the hero and heroine will be. I am so excited to finally share this interview. This podcast is being brought to you by Clean Break, a new novel from Abby Vegas that blends chick lit and romantic suspense into one irresistible New York story. Bridget Jones meets Beauty and the Beast, and the Wall to Wall Books blog reviewed it as amazing, saying once in a while, you run across a book and you just really connect to it, like the author knew exactly the kind of book you loved and hit it spot on. This was one of those books. And Feeding My Addiction Book Reviews says, if there was an award for breakthrough author, I would nominate Abby Vegas. Clean Break is on sale everywhere, and the first 10 chapters are available for free at abbyvegasauthor.com. The podcast transcript this month is sponsored by Kensington, publishers of Chasing the Heiress by Rachel Miles in the new Zebra Shout imprint, featuring rising stars of romance at an affordable price of $4.99. Rachel Miles' witty and sexy Regency romance series centers on the intelligent, outspoken, and talented ladies of the Muses Salon and the gentlemen who strive for the love of a lady who knows her mind. In this second installment, an heiress on the run from an arranged marriage uses her medical training to disguise herself as a sick room maid, where an injured spy finds himself in her very capable care. On sale now, wherever books are sold. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy it. And if you are a regular listener or reader of the transcripts and you'd like to support the show, I would like to politely ask that you have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash smartbitches. You can sponsor the podcast with a monthly pledge of as little as $1 a month, but you'll be helping me reach goals like commissioning transcripts for all the podcasts that don't have one. And you can see all the rewards and options at patreon.com slash smartbitches. If you have already backed the show or taken a look, thank you. You are made of awesome. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. Hi, I'm Shelley Lawrenston um, and G.A. Aiken. Those are my two uh, author names. And I write paranormal romance. That's a lot of names. Yeah. Well, it's two. <laughs> I find there's like people out there with tons of names, so, uh, but I can only manage two. I can barely manage one. So even doing more than that is really amazing to me. Yeah. (laughs) Now you were first published digitally, right? Your first books were all eBooks. Yeah. I was really lucky. I, um, worked with a friend, uh, at my old job and, uh, somehow, and I still to this day don't know how it happened. We somehow got in discussion about werewolf sex. As you do. As as one does, yes. you know, while taking a, a you know break during work, and uh, she said, "Oh, I've got this book, you know, for you to read. I think you'll like it." And I said, "Okay." And um, I had been 
uh, I think divorced about uh, about a year by that point. Um, and I loved my job, but I was kind of like, where does it go from here? And I took the book home and she had marked, you know, the section, she, the, the, it was a anthology and it was, she marked the story she wanted me to read. And I remember I was sitting on my couch and I turned off the TV because I had to go to bed and I'm thinking, God, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like what, what else is out there, you know? And then I just picked up the book and kind of flipped to the end and I saw something about, she knew she should be frightened being pregnant with a werewolf baby but she wasn't. And I went, <laughs> oh, my God. And I flipped back to the front. And it was Mary Janice Davidson's um, Love's Prisoner. And I was like, oh, my God. And I'm, I'm reading and I'm thinking, this is the best thing ever. I've never read anything this cool before, you know, because I, I grew up on romance as a, you know, I, I discovered it at the horrifying age of like 11 or 12 with Many Ashes of in the Wind. Did, yes. yes, Ashes in the Wind. I actually, I actually got for a quarter at the church bazaar. I don't think they knew it was on the table. And <laughs> Um, and so, but, you know, as I read the books, I loved them, but I also thought, uh, you know, the hoop skirts and all the details about furniture and that stuff just wasn't what I loved to, to write about. And then I read Mary Janice's book and I mean, she had a, like, you know, this really cool chick and she had guns and she was, you know, not afraid to be tough. And I thought, oh yeah, this is it. And that's kind of how I got there. You know, it's like I read this book and next thing I know I was I was writing and um as I was writing um I the friend uh she actually was part of several Yahoo groups uh back in the day in like uh, I guess 03 and she read it first and she really liked it. She said um you know, how about we get some other opinions? And it turned out that one of the opinions she got was an editor for Jaskillian which had just started at the time and um they asked to publish it. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Because the best part is I had no expectations because I, you know, the three heroines were, um, you know, minorities and, and I thought, you know, and they were loud and they were rude and they were cursing and I thought, no way is this, you know, this is just for fun, this is just for me. And it kind of took off from there and I haven't really looked back since. <laughs> I, one of the things that I want to ask you about in particular is your sure. heroines. Because yeah. when I... When I mentioned to another author whose name is Alicia Rye that I was trying to maybe set up an interview with you, basically mm -hmm. we just finished reading The Crows and we just basically screamed at each other. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I know, they're so good. So first, before I ask any other questions, thank right. you. Thank you for that series. Oh. <laughs> that series has blown my mind. I love it so much. Like, I really like the G.A. Aiken books. And I realize that having someone just sort of squee at you uncontrollably can get a little uncomfortable. So I'll keep this short. <laughs> I love the G.A. Aiken books because they are like campy, blood-soaked fairy tales. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And it's exactly. like, are you in a really shitty mood? You are going to love this. Like, they, Are you having a bad breakup? This is what you need. You need a little bit of Onwell and she's just going to like blood soak everything and you'll feel much better. And then people are like, oh my God, you were right. And the crows are just, they're like, they're like, you cloned all of the best parts of the dragon books and then turned them loose on North, Norse mythology. I'm going to say this correctly. Norse mythology. Yeah. <laughs> What you write about so often is female friendship and female strength. Yes. And one of the things that Alicia pointed out to me that is so, so true is that there are many, many writers who have built brands around what she called the badass brotherhood. And you have done it consistently with badass sisterhoods. <laughs> you write circles of women. Is that something that you set out to do? Yes. 
I think my biggest problem has with media in general um, is women, when they are warriors, when they are the heroine or the main, you know, character, they're always alone. Yes. Um, they're either, at, you know, the hero comes along eventually, and so they've got this partner, but they um, they rarely have friends. If they have friends, they're friends. They all they ever talk about is the guy. Yes. There's never that kind of relationship, and you know when. I did get divorced. It was my girlfriends who were there for me. And like, you know, they made sure I had plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, and, and I always, when my mom died, you know, come over to my house. You're coming over right now. I was like, well, no, 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 no. You're coming over right now. I'm making you spaghetti. I was like, okay. Cause I love your spaghetti. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, and carbs go together. These are wise yes. women. Exactly. And so, you know, when you have that kind of camaraderie, I was sad to not see it. Um, in, in the media I was watching because that's been so important to me. You know, I don't have a lot of friends, but the ones I have, I'm very close to. And so I really wanted to get that across um, in my work. It was really important to me. And so from the very, from my first series, which was the Magnus Pack, you know, the center were the three best friends and what they had been through in their lives and um, how they had bonded over their, you know, weirdness and their uniqueness and, and the fact that, you know, they were a lot of women to take kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of grew from there. And so um, it was the same thing, you know, with the crows where I, you know, yeah, it's like I see these great, you know, badass boys, but, and I love the boys. I don't have a problem with the boys, but I really wanted to start seeing some women uniting together. You know, I kind of call it the pride effect, you know, like I, I love the f idea of when I started researching lions for my um, pride series, I really, I discovered that, you know, to be honest, the males were, it was like two males and they were there, but just literally to protect the cubs from other males. They were there for breeding and to protect the cubs from other males. So Otherwise, it was all sisterhood. Yeah, pretty much. You know, they were, because once, if they were pushed out, then any cubs that were, you know, still cubs and not two years old were killed. And so they had to have them. But otherwise, it was a sisterhood of these, you know, badass lionesses who they were the ones who went out hunting and they were the ones who, you know, protected the, you know, area and did all this stuff and, you know, went head to head with the the hyenas. And, and that to me is is kind of what I kind of base, I think, all my heroines on is that the, the sisterhood where we love our men, they're there for us, we will protect them with our lives, but at the same time, we're not going to forget our sisters. We're not going to suddenly become the girl who only hangs out with the girls when we're alone. Right. Yeah. And only hangs out with their friends when they don't have a boyfriend. Exactly. That exactly. You, that you can have characters who have really great sex lives and really hot boyfriends, but also hang out with their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Girlfriends always remain important. In my world, the, the girlfriends always remain important no matter what. They're still their sisters. They're still part of their lives. So, you know, it's it's. I, I just can't imagine. Because otherwise, you're just alone. That's just, that you know. And, and And that sucks. And, you know, what if something happens to the guy? You know, I mean, you, you know, it's happily ever after, but sometimes happily ever after ends abruptly. Yeah. And then you don't have that sisterhood. Then how do you get through it? You know, my sisters were there for me when I needed them. I don't have an actual sister, but... The, you know, I, I like I said, my I call them my adopted California family because, you know, it was just me out here and suddenly I was on my own and they were there to pick me up and, and be there for me. And so that you've written them and the spirit of what they did into all of your books. Yes. I think that is such a powerful message because a lot of the times I think in romance, um, one heroine is diminished in the next book if she's not the heroine. So yes. there's such a distance between the, the heroine who is the subject of that book and the women who are not the subject of that book. 
Yeah, like they can't be too close to her in terms of prominence and how much there is there. You know, she has to, the, the, the heroine has to have this sort of singular isolation a lot of times as the heroine and with, with your characters, and it's a pretty unique, it's a pretty unique world. It's really, it's really hard to rec to recommend books, by the way, if somebody comes to me and goes, oh my God, I really love Shelley Lawrence and what else do I read? Um, you read G.A. Aiken. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Because there's not a lot of people who write like you. There's not a lot of characters who are all female and all equally as alpha as they need to be in all of the books. Yeah, yeah. What do you think are the the qualities of a of an alpha heroine? Because you write a lot of alpha women. Um, I think it's well. That's a good question. I you know I hadn't really thought about it. It's just something I write because I you know I it's funny when I was growing up. You know, I, I had, you know, both my parents and, and my dad was, you know, strong male and and, um, and my mom, though, was Southern. She was North Carolina. She was very, you know, qu she wasn't quiet. She was she loved to laugh and she loved to have a good time. But she was an introvert and she liked to do her thing and she liked to read her, you know, her Agatha Christie and be left alone and have her lunches by herself. And but I am I think when I was younger, I thought of her as kind of weaker. And then um, she was actually uh, shot in a holdup. Um, when oh I was my about God. 15, yeah, when I was about 15, she used to own a little card store and she sold it, but she kept working there part time just for the hell of it. Cause she knew everybody and everybody loved her. And, um, she, one day these kids came in they, they shot her and, um, because she knew everybody and actually she was right next to, a um, OTB, which is off track betting in New York. And, uh, one of the guys in there was a fireman who knew her and adored her. And he actually called in a copter to airlift her to the, and that's what saved her life. Holy smoke. And I realized after that how strong she was as a woman because she just, she never let it get her down. Like, it, you know, she, it traumatized her. She'd still have PTSD and, you know, she'd hear a, a car backfire and she'd jump, oh, yeah. you know, and I mean, we're talking 10, 15 years later, um, but she never let it destroy her or define her. And it just, you know, that's when I realized there was more, much more to her than I was actually seeing or giving her credit for. And that's where I think it started, you know, where this realizing that strength doesn't always have to be, you know, I'm in your face, I'm so tough, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. You know, there's some who are just quietly strong and there's some who are loudly strong and there are some who, you know, they don't say anything or do anything until you really make them mad. And my mom was like, my dad used to say, he goes, look, if your mom starts crying, just run. <laughs> it goes she's the only woman i know who cries when she's really mad and she's about to go off and i was like oh okay you know and, <laughs> and so you know but she also cried at hallmark commercials like it used to amaze me i was like i'd look at her, I go, are you crying at this commercial she's like well it's just yeah. so sweet you know that was just so she wasn't afraid to be soft and she wasn't afraid to be you know to love and to love dogs and babies and you know that whole thing and and but my god the woman was like a you know a bear when if she thought someone was you know offending her daughter or you know putting her son at risk or anything like that then that's when the claws came out and so you know i think i learned from her that um strength isn't about who is the you know who's willing to chest bang you you know and get in your <laughs> face you know <laughs> and so that's kind of where i base my alphas off of and you know i try and write varying ones i don't try and write the I try really hard not to write the same character over and over again, you know, and, and it's kind of where, you know, like with my dragons, it was like, you know, first there was Anwil and she was like balls out, you know, sword in hand, shield, ready to go, 
you know, she didn't yeah. care who she destroyed to get to what, you know, to protect her people, you know, and then I had the, you know, the quiet poisoner and, and then I had, you know, and, and, and the, then I had, um, uh, the character that was like so quiet and, and so, but deadly, like yeah. you just knew this woman would, you know, just destroy you. And that's, you know, kind of where I just started to grow from that. Cause I just had this, I realized there's just all these different type of alpha females out there. And I've been lucky that I've known so many and watched them. I also love how so many of your heroines are introverts. Yeah. <laughs> I am, I am a very, 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 very much an introvert and people don't believe me when I tell them that, but. Well, there's, I, I, I discovered very late in life that there's a difference between introvert and shy. Yes. And I used to explain, I always used to tell people I was shy. They look at me and they go, you're not shy. I was like, no, I'm really shy. I mean, but I'm not, I'm actually not shy. What I am is an introvert. There are times I just, I, I remember I'd have to, uh, when I worked in healthcare, ugh, oh, my gosh. nightmare years. And, and I, I like, it was, it was like marketing, but still, ugh. so, and I remember I'd have to go to these team building, you know, things with the whole gang for like several days in a row. And um, when I left, I'd come home and I would literally take days off before I could go back to work just to decompress from having to, as I said, fake smile for the, you know, for three days and pretend I didn't hate every second of being there. And, and just, you know, I just hated it. And it's the same thing. It's that, you know, that introverted nature where, you know, we can, I like, I call it gunfire, you know, short controlled burst of gunfire, you know, as I can do, you know, a great day, night, you know, with my friends, I can go out to dinner, we can go to movies and hang out. But my God, I don't necessarily want to see them the next day. Oh, no, you need to decompress. <laughs> yeah, you need to decompress. And that's this, you know, and so yeah, I, I, I'm a hardcore introvert. And so that kind of, start to get to my writing where there were some characters where I was like, not everybody wants to hang out. Not everybody wants to be, you know, and that's why I had so much fun with the undoing because she was such a blatant introvert where she's under desk and she's hiding in, you know, cabinets and anything to get away from people trying to talk to her when she just wanted to read her books. Be like, she was kind of based on my mom a little bit, you know, she wants to be left alone to read her book. You know, why are you bothering me? I just want to read my book, you know? I'm and so that's where she was fun. I'm going to hide from all of you people. Yes, exactly. One of the things I love about that particular character about Jace in The Undoing is that her introversion does not mean that she w doesn't want to talk to you or that she doesn't have friends. She just has a very limited amount of energy to spend on other people. Yes. And, when she and that's what that means. Yeah. yeah, totally. Have you ever read Quiet? The, the power of introverts in a world that won't stop talking. I actually have that book. I have not read it yet, <laughs> but hey. I do have it. I bought it just for that reason. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. Like I, I remember okay. reading that book on a train with my husband and I would like keep interrupting his reading to read him parts of this book. Like I'm in this book. You don't understand how much I'm in this book. And when I read that and it gave me like this whole framework and language to understand introversion, it was, it was really life changing. It also made me realize that even when I'm at an event that I love, like a conference of romance readers, which is awesome. I need to block off two, two and a half hours every day to go be in total silence with no humans. Oh, yeah. I, I did the same thing. I, I haven't gone to a con in a long time, but when I've gone to RT, I would, you know, I, I usually wouldn't get downstairs till like four or five. <laughs> and then, you know, I'd spend more time, I'd ride up in my room, I'd watch TV, I'd do all that stuff. And then I come downstairs and then I, you know, then I'd, I'd go to the bar and I'd hang out with everybody and, um, and I loved it, you know? And yep. then, but when the night was done, I was in my room, door closed, TV back on to block out, you know, everything. And I could just sit there and watch TV and just decompress. And then actually when I get back, when I was still, cause I was still working full time when I started writing, I would actually come, you know, home and I would not go back to work for three or four days to just sit in my apartment 
yep. with the dog yep. and do nothing but watch TV <laughs> and, you know, kind of get over the, you know, the whole experience. And yep. then I go back to work. Yep. I couldn't go, I couldn't just jump back into work. I, I'm amazed by people who can. And, and, and it being around other people, just being in a room with bunches and bunches of people can be so draining. You don't yes. even have to talk to them. It's just draining. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So speaking of the the Crows series, um, mm-hmm. which I have introduced to so many people and they have all been so excited about, I know you just thank turned you for in. that. Oh my gosh. No, thank you. I love this book so much. <laughs> Do you know when book three is going to come out? Do you know what the plan is for that one? Uh, it's going to be the summer of this next summer, not this summer. Summer of 2017. But- Yes, it'll be a 2017 okay. summer. So if you by accident like mm-hmm. attached it to an email to me, I would never <laughs> tell anyone. I would never breathe a word ever. Seriously. Well, still going through the editing process, well, but I'm that sure that, you know, uh, <laughs> I have to work out something. I have to tell you, because I know you'll understand this story. So I have, we, we, my family and I just moved and I finally had this piece of art that Kate Duffy gave me framed. It is the original oil painting of a romance cover because they used to have these boards like painted by an artist and they photographed the board and then they just chuck it because they paid like 1500 bucks for it. So I have John DeSalvo in a hot pink gladiator toga. Oh God. Standing over me (laughs) while I work. And like every time I turn around, I think, Oh, you know, I think about Kate and I think about really good editors and I think about how people take care of the genre. And it's just, Oh, it's so lovely. (laughs) Kate is always close to my heart. She was the one who, like, she was she was my first uh, big, you know, New York editor. And she was great. She made it all, like, perfect. Because when I pitched to her at uh, one of the RTs, and I think in St. Louis, but I'm not exactly positive. I can't exactly remember. But, um, and she was so nice to me. And I was really, you know, I, was, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. So I was expecting, you know, kind of cold, like yeah. that, you know, New York publisher, editor, character you see in every rom-com movie. And she was so sweet and she was so nice. And I said, you know, I've got a book and, um, you know, I pitched this one story to her and she said, this sounds great, but it wasn't nearly finished. And, but I had finished um, the lion, uh, my first lion story for the pride um, and with uh, Mace. And I thought, you know, let me just pitch that to her and see if she'll be interested. And because um, it had only been out in ebook. Right. And I told her, I said, you know, it's been much for And she was like, well, what's the sales on that? And I just looked at her and she's like, yeah. She goes, don't worry, send it to me. <laughs> because <laughs> she knew and I knew I was barely like making enough for lunch, you know, for, yeah. um, <laughs> for my, uh, those early days. And so I went ahead and I, you know, I, I went through it again and I edited it and I sent it and I, what I did was I FedExed it to her. Um, you remember and those I, days? <laughs> yeah, I FedExed a manuscript to her, you know, and, um, it was so funny because I was about to go to the doctor. I had to go to the OBGYN and I'm, um, and, the first I get an email and I just looked, you know, you, you know, when you're just about to go out the door and you're like, let me just check email. Yeah. And I checked my email real fast and there's an email from her. Call me. Oh God. And then I was like, oh, oh. so I start shaking and then my phone rings <laughs> and it's her. And she's like, I love this book. And I remember nothing had ever sounded as good in my life <laughs> as Kate Duffy telling you how much she loves your work because there was just something so enthusiastic and so warm and so you know just like she when she loved your work you knew it and she let you know it and it meant everything and she's like we want this book I want this book I have to have I was like uh okay you know and (laughs) and I'm just so excited and I'm like okay okay that's great you know and then before I'm leaving I'm emailing all my friends Kate Tuffy I'm on the phone Kate Tuffy you know (laughs) 
completely freaking out. <laughs> and if she liked your work or she liked an author, she would introduce people to them like they were a freaking rock star, even if their book yeah. hadn't come out yet. Yes, she, she was did. as enthusiastic about the books that she bought and the books that she wrote or, or worked on mm-hmm. as she was about like meeting a movie star. Yes, she really was. And it was amazing. And, and so I've always, you know, such a warm spot in my heart for her because, um, you know, her death just devastated me because I was like, wait a minute, I, but I've got this book I'm finishing for her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so, you know, um, so, yeah, she's and she's had that effect on a lot a lot of authors because she was just so I was so lucky and it was funny because I had you know I was kind of done with the ebook thing you know as things transpired and changed um and so I kind of in a you know pissy mood kind of emailed uh this the guy who was handling the RT interviews at the time the pitch meetings uh-huh. And said, hey, you know, um, if you have anything available, I'd love one, you know, and um, he's, you know, and so he did. He set me up with Kate and, and, and some agent and the agent one didn't go too good, but the, the one with Kate did. But I was really, I remember I freaked out when I saw it. I was like, Kate, Kate Duffy? Oh my God. Because like I knew her, I knew of her, <laughs> like I hadn't met her, but I knew of her and I knew that was, Kensington was my goal. Like that was yep. my down, down the road a few years, you know, after I get, you know, more, you know, get a little more books under my call I like to go to Kensington and so when it was such a luck thing and it was only because I think I had made I had given the guy like several baskets like I had built a couple of baskets and sent it to him for books and stuff and um and you know bookmarks and all stuff and yep. and so he just I think he just was like hey I'll just give her Kate Duffy and I was like thank you god <laughs> it was like the best thing ever it just all the timing just worked out so perfectly but yeah I just I loved working with her I loved working with her she, she was the, like you, she was the first person who looked at what I was doing as a blogger and was like, no, 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 keep doing this. This is, this is good. You should keep doing this. I don't know what the hell you're doing, but it's good. (laughs) And I don't understand it, but you should keep doing it. And I was like, okay, Kate Duffy's talking words to me. What do I do with myself at this moment? And I remember when I met her, it was RWA in Dallas. And I was like eight and a half months pregnant. I was like a small planet. I like, and it was like 99 degrees. So I checked into the hotel and I didn't leave until I went to the airport because why would I go outside I was 95 and I was hugely pregnant and so I was a very slow moving person and I couldn't (laughs) and I couldn't drink at the bar because you know hugely pregnant and so I I ended up sitting next to her and like getting introduced to all of these authors that she was excited to to meet I think she just purchased Helen K Diamond's books and was introducing me to Helen K and it Mm -hmm. was like oh you you know who I am and you know what I do and you're not mad that I'm here because at that time people were like why are the bloggers here that's yeah. bad <laughs> they should go yuck cooties <laughs> so you've had a very long and successful career writing paranormal and yeah. I keep hearing all these people talking about how paranormal's dead and I hear many readers going nah is it ever <laughs> is it ever discouraging to hear that the genre that you love and that you write on that you write in is 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 dying and dead or do you just sort of be like yeah um I got alpha heroines who want to eat people to write about so bye <laughs> Well you know it's funny when I first when I the when I first started writing um and uh you know I remember I joined some loop and be careful of doing that. Oh, I would never do it now, but this is then, you know. And so they and they ask you like a little questionnaire, you know, when you join, you know, like what do you write and what do you do? And 
and I don't think I had, I hadn't been picked up yet by Trisk. I hadn't, you know, I was just literally just starting. I was just trying to like put my feet, you know, my little feet in the water. And, um, I said, I said paranormal romance and, and immediately someone was like, Oh yeah, that's too bad. It's, you know, fading away, but you know, we're interested to see what you got. Like, and I was like, Oh, here we go. I, I never went back. I never went back to that loop. I was like, all right, if that's your attitude, I was like, you know, so from the very beginning, everybody was telling me it was dying or dead yep. and no one was interested. And I was just like, well, whatever. Cause at the time I had no plans. It wasn't like I was, you know, I, I, it wasn't like as soon as I started writing, I was like, I'm going to get a New York deal and I'm going to get big and I'm going to get blah, blah, blah. And I had no plans, which drives some of my friends crazy. They're like, well, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, well, what, who's the, you know, who's the agent from, I'm like, I don't know. I, I didn't know any people. I didn't, I didn't try and learn. I was just kind of like doing my own thing, which is my way. Yeah. And, um, and that I kind of, way. I, I yeah. have a frequent flyer on seat of your pants airline. Yes. I got a lot of miles. And that's how I write. That's yes. how I write. Total C in my pants. Total C in my pants. Drives my editor crazy because that means when, <laughs> like, I was supposed to turn in the crows three weeks earlier and I'm still like, I'll give it to you next week. I'm almost done. And I go, okay, I need another week. And then I'm like, I just need another week because I keep changing and fixing and trying to make things work. And I'm like, I'm almost there, dude. I'm almost there. Just give me a little more time. <laughs> and thankfully, she has the patience of a saint. <laughs> I do it to her almost every book because I just think I'm almost there. And then I go, nope, this isn't working. And I kill like 50 pages or 100 pages and because suddenly I've got this idea or something might work better or, you know, and I go in, I just rip it out and start over or I start messing with what I already have. And until I'm happy with it, it doesn't go. So, um, you know, and so I, but that's like, I've tried, you know, when I was younger, I remember I would try to, you know, map it out, you know, my story. And by the time I was done mapping out, I was so bored with it. I never wanted to look at it again. It's, I, you know, I admire people who are that, you know, organized and they can write their whole, you know, have their whole thing mapped out and then they just go in and they just write it. But once I do that, I lose all interest. So for me and my ADHD ways, I have to kind of like just run with it because that's where the entertainment comes because then I'm in my head. But of course, then I'm in my head constantly for three weeks on the off, what I call my author lockdown. I was completely in a, like I lived on chicken noodle soup. Well, rotini and chicken because I'm an adult. So rotini and chicken <laughs> soup and, and the calling in the, um, like a local like uh, delivery service. Yep. I think I'm putting someone's kid through college or something because <laughs> I asked every day. It's like I literally one guy actually told me, goes, look, I just wanted you to know I'm going on vacation for two weeks. I didn't even know his name, but he <laughs> felt like he'd seen me so often at this point. He was like, I just want to let you know. So don't freak out if you don't see me for a walk. I'm going on vacation for two weeks. And I was like, um, all right, thanks for the thank you for the heads up. You know, know. So, I probably wouldn't so, have noticed. <laughs> yeah. So I because I get so locked in that all I think about is like, where's it going? What am I doing? Like I, I go to sleep at, you know, and, and that's where I'm like, what do I do tomorrow? And then when I get up, I'm thinking about it. It never, you know, it's, it's like all consuming. And so, um, but it just, it's, but that's just so far, that's the only way I've been able to work. You know, I can do like little outlines, like big chunky bits of, well, she'll go here and she'll do this and they'll have this, but the, like the, really the fine, tuning that ha that happens while I'm editing and rewriting and rereading it. That's the only way I can do it so far. So and you, and you have to sort of surprise yourself. Yes. Cause if I get bored, I just assume everyone else is getting bored. And that was the thing. It was so funny. I felt so bad for my editor. Cause I actually gave her like the first hundred pages, like back in January or something. And then when I actually finished, you know, the book and sat down 
and started reading those first thing, I was like, she's going to kill me, but I have to rip this whole thing apart. Like <laughs> just the first hundred, they were just really bad. And, and I just hated them. And, and I was bored by them. And I thought if I'm bored, everyone's going to be bored. So I just, you know, so I said, yeah, I need another week. And, uh, I had to change those first hundred pages. I'm really sorry. And then, I just kind of, <laughs> and then I'm afraid to even look at my email. Cause I'm afraid she's going to yell at me at my email. So I even look, <laughs> but thankfully she was fine with it. But yeah, it's like, you know, I just, you know, it's, it's that it's, it's the only way I can, I've been able to make this work for me. But so far, so so good. I mean, it seems to be effective. So well, <laughs> I, don't wanna... I, I haven't heard any readers complaining. Oh, I have, but <laughs> different <laughs> that's a different thing. Yeah, that's different. You know, they're probably complaining that you don't you don't write fast enough. I get that a lot. I yeah. do get that a lot, and and you know, and I get it, and it's hard. It it does get frustrating because I see some authors who consistently you know they do a good job but they're putting out books like every three months and I'm like how do you do that you know like how do you do that because there's so much of me literally just sitting sometimes and staring off and thinking yep. and playing things in my head and thinking oh that's funny I should use that I mean I don't know how they just like they sit themselves down and they just bang 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 and I just can't seem to make that happen and it frustrates the hell out of me but but at the same time I also know that what I, the fear I have is I become what I call the Acme, you know, an Acme company of publishing and yep. start putting out books. And then, but, it, but then people are disappointed because all the characters are the same or the storylines the same, or haven't we been here before, or, you know, and I, I don't want to do that either. I want to surprise and delight with each new book. So, and that takes time for me, you know, for me personally. Yep. So I kind of have to use that and go with it. I remember doing an interview for the, for this podcast with, um, a couple of authors and, and one of them I think was Julie James. And I was saying, do you remember when one book a year was like fast? Yeah. Like putting out one book a year was like such an enormously fast pace. Like my goodness. Yeah. And now like one book a year is like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like some kind of flawed being. I, yeah. You're only no. putting out. And it's funny. I watch, um, I, I started watching castle on TNT and he was like this mystery writer and he's putting out a book a year and I go, that must be lovely. <laughs> Have a whole year to sit around and play with your detective friend and then write a book when you feel like it, you know, and have a whole year to get it done. And I was like, man, that must be just great. And I, I always think these damn mystery writers with their damn <laughs> year to write a book, you know. And, and nobody complains because um, they're but, men. <laughs> but romance readers are so voracious. We are which very is great. voracious. But also like a lot of pressure because they're like, little. okay, I mean, literally they'll buy the book, you know, the book releases, they'll buy it. They tell me they love it. And that's great. And then the next sentence is, so when's your next one coming out? And I'm like, okay, uh, look, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this pressure right now. <laughs> <laughs> or you have people who are reviewing the book once it's listed on Goodreads, but you haven't finished it yet. I'm sorry. There are people who will sometimes review a book on Goodreads because the publisher has listed it, but you haven't quite finished it yet. And so authors oh, are like, how did you, how did you review the book? I haven't finished writing it yet. I can never go on the internet again. Oh God, no, <laughs> I have not. Well, cause I won't hand my book over until I'm done. Yeah. So, I mean, I sometimes will give a hundred pages, but I, you know, my editor, thank God, she never has unleashed that. Cause she knows I'm crazy. She knows that I'm the one who's like, <laughs> you know, like I just did to her, like, you know, those hundred pages I sent you. Yeah. yeah well, guess what? You, you know, so. line the birdcage. Yeah. And one time I remember I had handed over, I think three chapters and then probably forgot about them that I did it. And then I went and I wrote the book. And of course I rewrote those because they were the first three chapters. I rewrote them a bunch of times. And suddenly I'm looking at 
some I think it was my release and they had the like the first chapter or two of the book of of the early stuff I sent and I freaked out on them because <laughs> oh, no. I was like you can't have this in the book I, I've re, I've done changes it's different you know I my hands are like gesturing while I'm talking to the guy on the phone I'm like I'm sorry but it's not the same and he's okay okay we'll take it out <laughs> but you know so <laughs> you know so they and it's always sad because they always ask me they're like hey do you have a chapter you can send me for the back of book I'm like no no sorry no, because I, I, I'm sure I'll rewrite it. Because I, I mean, as it is, I rewrite the first three chapters a billion times before I can even move forward. And then when I get to the end, I go back and usually rewrite it. <laughs> rewrite it again. Exactly. So with the Crow series, can you tell us a little bit about book three? Are you able to tell us anything about it? Yeah, now that I've handed off. If you had asked me this when I was still working on it, I would have been like, no. And the <laughs> conversation would have ended. No, I'm sorry. I have nothing to tell you. But I mean, at this point, it's it's Aaron and... um. Stieg, uh, who I adore because he's like my angriest Viking because he's just he's he's not miserable. He just doesn't smile or anything. He's just like he just looks like your gorgeous, grumpy grandpa. Yes, I was going to say he's cranky. <laughs> he's cranky. He's my cranky boy. And I love cranky guys. I love, you know, because my dad was cranky. He was, you know, he was <laughs> you never knew what mood that man was coming in the house with, you know, and it was funny because one time I came downstairs, I was like, hey, dad. And he was like, he was so angry. He was his he was leaning forward like he was a big guy, he's like six feet, and he, but he was like walking forward and he slammed the keys down. I went, okay, see you, bye. And I ran out the house and he heard me go upstairs and say to my mom, I don't know what's going on, but dad's in a bad mood. I'm out of here. And I went and grabbed my car keys and left the house. And so when I got back, she said, thank you for doing that because he actually heard you and he calmed down. Oh, no. Because <laughs> he was in such a bad mood. I was like, my brother and I would just evacuate. We were like, dad's da, da, in a bad mood. Get out, get out, get out. We just like, go, <laughs> go, 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 go out the door. Don't stop. <laughs> Don't look back. Don't look back. You know, and so, yeah. And uh, wait, what were we talking about? I totally lost you. <laughs> Book three with Cranky. Book three, yes. Cranky okay, Stig so Stig is Aaron. fun. Just, yeah, I love my cr- cranky man. And so Stig was fun. But Erin was a lot of fun to write because uh, she's, yeah. she is just, you know, she, she describes herself. She goes, yeah, I'm a dick. Yeah, like she just, <laughs> she, she understands that about herself. She enjoys it. She just feels the world is just too uptight. And so everybody's uptight and everybody's stressed out. And so her way of trying to alleviate that is by being kind of an asshole. And so, you know, and she's not afraid to be an asshole to anybody. So there's like a lot of like the gods don't like her and the, you know, and, and she fights with, you know, like Odin and she, you know, and, and so, um, on, and other, Odin. other groups don't like her. The nuns don't like her. The, you Odin know, needs to be fought with though. Hmm? I mean, Odin needs to have an argument I know. with people. He has it coming. I know. I love my Odin. I mean, and it's funny because everybody does their different Odins. Like everybody has their like, you know, I watched the, the show Vikings, which I adore. And um, like the moon, I adore that show. And Lagatha and oh, Ragnar and his brother. Oh, love it all. And so Rolo. And, um, <laughs> and his Odin was like the older guy, like almost like a um, Gandalf, like, you know, older guy with the big hat and, and the walking stick and the white beard. And yet I see him more like bodybuilder kind of like works out at the gym kind of you know that's my kind of you know old viking like you know just full of you know like uh, strength and and um and just difficult and based on like when i did research on him he wasn't he was really kind of like he was the god everybody called on last because he was such a bastard and that was kind of fascinating because you know when you watch you know movies and like you know and and all that stuff it's he's the 
older father who loves his family and blah 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 but yeah. you know it, in in reality he was a harsh god and you did not call on him lightly and so i had a lot of you know i have a lot of fun with that because you know the more difficult i find people are the more i just like oh yeah this is good you know it gives me more <laughs> to play with than you know the nice old gentleman i you know i love i love my cranky old people i love making you know like her her you know nana from the undoing she was fun and oh, Lord. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, and because um, I, 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 you know, I never really knew, I knew frail, physically frail old people, but not mentally, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they were, they could be a little bit, you know, dangerous. And so that kind of, I, that kind of gets in there because I have more fun with that as a writer. Um, and so, yeah, so Odin was a lot of fun. And so, but yeah, so Aaron was kind of a blast to write. And now we really get down to the wire with, you know, the, the Gulvik storyline, the arc, and yeah. um, it's all coming to a head. So. Is this a trilogy? It is a trilogy for this particular story arc. Right. So, you know, whether I go back to it, because originally I, I originally wrote, um, that whole, the Crows and the Ravens first started in a book called Hunting Season. Yes. Which I wrote years and years ago because the um, publisher at Triskillian said, we want a book with crows. Literally, uh, that's how they tell me things. Like the That first, was my question. How did you get to crows? What was the yeah. source of that idea? I had <laughs> well, no idea. Yeah, because with Pride, that started because they said, we want a lion. And my friend said to me, what are you, McDonald's? They're now just ordering up. <laughs> stories from you and I was like yeah well I was like nah no big deal because at the time I was like yeah okay I'll fine I'll give them lions so when they came in they said want something like crows I went crows Uh, I said those black birds outside my house with the spindly little legs those crows that's what you want she's like yeah so I was like "Uh, okay let me see what I can come up with so I kind of like pull I have a lot of like research books because I love books and so I'm pulling out stuff and looking and I said my first idea was something with like bounty hunters there are a group of bounty hunters and she said, oh, we already have a series with bounty hunters. Can you come up with something else? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay, let me see what I can do. So I go back to the books. And at that point, I had decided there's no way I'm having them. You know, I had shifters. There's no way I'm having them turn into little birds with little legs. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. And so I said, okay, but they'll have wings. And so I started researching. And I had this little book called The Little Encyclopedia of Runes. Huh. And... I started going, like, I literally just picked up, like, oh, what's in here? And I started really, there was, oh, gods, and some of the runes have gods associated with them. And then I started research, and then they'd have a breakdown of, like, what was the gods, you know, connection. And one of them, Skald, was crows. And I was like, wait a minute, that could work. Then the gods, you know, well, the gods can choose these women and then I realized that she was also uh, used to work with the Valkyries and used to choose from the souls of the dying and I was like wait a minute okay I can, oh okay and then you know and then I was like you know I want to get a little color in there as I say I like to get a little color in there so I was like well wait how am I going to get like you know some blacks and some you know and Hispanics and some Asians and and I thought oh the slaves and that's what I ran <laughs> with it plus they really don't they realized that the Vikings actually traveled a lot farther than just Britain and, yeah. you know, they North America. And I thought they could, for all we know, they could have gone to Africa. And so I was like, let's have some fun with this. So it all kind of just really just kind of came together from the request of, can we have something with crows? And that's, <laughs> I got there. And hunting season was very limited, though. It was, um, I only had Odin and I only had Skald as the gods. I mean, the others were there, but you never really saw them. And then it was only the ravens and crows. Right. Um, but when I decided to do this series, um, 
I looked at having more clans and more gods because I thought it'd just be more fun to kind of mix them up, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, as I was working on that, I had them all hate everybody, hate each other. and well, then you know, Really hate the crows. And, you know, and, and I thought, well, how would they feel about having, you know, these quote-unquote slaves, you know, or descendants of slaves, you know, being an actual ch- actually chosen by the gods and blessed with, you know, God-given abilities. And I thought, oh, that's going to be, that's going to cause a problem. So that was kind of, you know, so it, I just kept, it just kept growing, expanding. Especially because the other clans are very into their, their Scandinavian bloodline. Yes. And they're, you know, descended from, you know, eight or nine generations of Thor, Magnus, Garver, Sudson, Yes. Like yeah. They are very into their own bloodline. And here you have right. all of these different women of color just sort of sticking it to their little supremacy. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're scared of us. <laughs> and we have pets. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> exactly. And so that made it uh, even more fun to, you know, work on just having that kind of little bit, you know, cause I remember when I think I did hunting season, the way I described them and I don't know if I actually, if it made it through the edit, but I remember I described the crows as, well, I described, I described the ravens as uh, they look like Hitler youth. And I described <laughs> the crows as a Benetton ad. Cause remember those old Benetton ads from the yes. 80s and 90s? I said, they look like a Benetton ad. And so <laughs> Please tell um, me they're all wearing color blocked rugby's. Yeah. And those super, super clean keds with the laces tied a certain way. Yes, exactly. That's exactly I was, it. I was very impressionable during the age of Benetton and I could not yeah. afford any of it, but gosh, did I want it. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I describe them because, yeah, they're very into their, which, you know, kind of, especially for Erin, it makes it kind of fun with her kind of like, so like, you know, hey, Hitler youth. Hey, you know, (laughs) she just loves to fuck with people. She just does. She does. She enjoys it. It is is what makes her glow with pride and happiness. (laughs) Do you ever play the game Dragon Age Inquisition? I have. She reminds me a little bit of Sarah, who's this elf who gives no shits and likes to play likes to play pranks on people. Oh, if you haven't met Sarah yet. She's she's a little bit like like Aaron. Yeah. Only not quite as violent. Yeah. So I <laughs> My gave ones are violent. <laughs> oh yes, they're, they're they're just lovely. Are you the first person to ask why the hell do the Nordic gods keep losing stuff? Like why are they so bad at keeping track of their own shit? What is you the know, problem? I, I, I really kind of came up with that. I was writing because I remember I was researching and I found out about the apples and how the apples were um, the only thing that kept them young. And yet she lost the damn apples. (laughs) Right. Like, wouldn't you want to keep track of that? Yeah. She lost the damn apples. And then so everybody just kind of grew old until they got those apples back. And I thought, well, why would you make that? You know, like, why wouldn't you have that in a safe somewhere, you know, protected or, or you know, like watched by, you know, vicious animals? Like, why are you wandering around with a basket of apples you can lose? And so and that's kind of where I got that idea from, because it's yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like, you know, they they have all this stuff in Rheingold and blah, blah, blah. And yet they manage to lose it very often. And then there's problems from it. (laughs) I have a kind of expensive face oil that I order and I have to talk myself into ordering it every time it runs out. But it works great. Doesn't make me break out. You know, I and it's it's kind of expensive for a thing that you put on your face. I know exactly where that is and I am not losing it. 
If I had yeah, a magic exactly. apple that kept me young, like I would never <laughs> even let it out of my sight. And yet they're like, oh, darn, I lost my super powerful thing that causes gods to come in from the netherworld. Yeah. Oh, darn. Like, oopsie. Is, <laughs> one of these guys needs like Norse god Lojack. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. To keep track of their shit. <laughs> yeah. Because that's really like a high percentage, you know, especially with hunting season. Hunting season was all about them finding stuff. Um, is this yours? Yeah, sorry. That was literally what they did for like most of the book, except until they were the crows had been started to be hunted by a um, a bad guy. But it was just kind of funny because that was like that was what they did. And so, um, but you know, this one I, I started with that, but it expanded from there for give them like an actual, you know, bad Problem. guy to really, yeah, proper bad guy or bad lady. Well, of course, <laughs> it's a bad with. lady. I. <laughs> Sometimes the women were fun because I can have fun with her because she was, I love Gulvig because when I researched her, she's like, what was the line? It was something in the Poetic Edda, I think, where it said something like, um, she is the, oh, everywhere she went, something about like literally bad feelings. Like everywhere she went, she just made everyone feel miserable just by walking through a room because she wanted. <laughs> And the fact that they all wanted her dead so badly, which yeah. I was fascinated by, they really wanted her dead, like, and nothing they did, because they kept trying, yep. and they just couldn't kill her. Yep. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's a lot of hate. She is everybody's toxic friend. <laughs> yeah, but I but I had fun with that, because I thought, you know, her, because her name means, like, gold drink, or, you yeah. know, like, different variations of gold, and um, I thought, well, for L.A., because I wanted to move them to L.A., because the original were set in the tri-state, so Jersey, right. New York. And I thought it would be fun because I hadn't done a story, uh, you know, a, a series that was based on L.A. And I've been living here now for quite a while. So I thought, you know, maybe it's time, you know, that you accept the fact that you're not moving back to these coasts. <laughs> you know, it was so funny because I mean, to this day, I still go, but their food's not good enough. Like because I miss like my good Italian. I miss my wow. really good Chinese. Oh, my God. And the fact that Chinese restaurants, at least in the city in Manhattan, can, you know, they're open like practically 24 hours. You know, I get. I'm, I need some French, you know, fried rice at three o'clock in the morning. I can get it. No, but out and it'll here, deliver. It'll deliver within like they'll deliver it here, man. Things close down. Like my little neighborhood, they close down at nine. I'm like, what am I in the south? You know, like, <laughs> everything's quiet. You know, and so yeah, it was. It's it's. But I finally had to accept the fact that I was not moving back, and and because I I mean I get chilly now. You know, when it's like oh it's seventy, I better put on that sweatshirt. Whereas I remember the days of like you know I'd go out and do film shoots because I went to film school um, for grad school, and I'm a I'd been on, you know, two pairs of thermals and, you know, thermal underwear and then my jeans and then big sweatshirts and a su big sweater over that and a big jacket. And I was like, let's go. We're going out in the snow to shoot, yeah. you know, and those days are over. I'm like such a milk toast now when it comes to weather. I'm like, oh, it's so chilly. <laughs> what my, is it? 72? <laughs> my sister-in-law lives in Southern Arizona and my in-laws used to live in Connecticut. And so she would come visit in the spring and it would be like 75, right? My kids yeah. are running around in shorts and t-shirts. It's May. It's 75. This is so great. She's got like a sweatshirt and a down jacket and a hat. Yeah. She's freezing. Yes. And my kids are like, what is wrong with you? It's I know. so warm. She's like, it's freezing right now. Oh my gosh, it's cold. I mean, I miss the days because the one thing I used to always laugh about, because I'm from Long Island originally, and the one thing I always laughed about was the girls, especially college girls, who'd walk around with this big, heavy sweatshirt with their college name on it and shorts. And I'm like, yes. why are you in shorts? I don't understand. If you're cold enough to wear a sweatshirt, why aren't you wearing pants? And you know what? I totally wore that. 
Yeah, <laughs> I totally were. And when I was in, when I was younger, and we would spend the spend part of the summer in South Jersey, which is like a whole other micro culture of clothing. Right. I would totally wear shorts and a sweatshirt regularly, and it never occurred to me until I was an adult how weird that was. Yeah. Like, what was I thinking? And now it's like shorts, sweatshirt, and Ugg boots. Like, only part of you is sweaty. Oh, yeah. But exactly. from your ankles to your waist, you're fine. Everything yeah. else is too hot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm here. So I thought, okay, let me write a book. You know, a series is based out in L.A. And, you know, the thing about L.A., it's like it's got the Hollywood vibe. And I thought, well, Gulvig is perfect for out here. Because yeah. these, you know, these broads are all about the bling and all about the, you know, style and what you drive. And, you know, and, and she's perfect for that. Because for her, it's all about the jewelry and the gold and the, you know, she is the worst of women is what they actually call her. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you know, basically, basically that kind of money grubbing gold digger is basically what they kind of called her in the poetic edit. But they only mentioned her once, but you know, once I latched onto her, I was like, Oh, I can have fun with this. And, oh, yeah. and so, um, it was a, you know, perfect kind of finding when I was looking for a bad guy, I was like, who's LA enough. And then, you know, and having her take over the agency, you know, yes. Betty's agency and Betty, who I adore with like the sun. Oh God. <laughs> can she have her own romance? Like have a secondary romance? I, you know, <laughs> I would love that. Because she's so much. I just love her. I just love her so much. <laughs> well, I um, I recommended these books to Elise, who who reviews for me at Smart Bitches, and her husband, Rich, who's a huge fantasy reader. And he asked me to tell you that he loves them so much. He is dragging out the second book because he knows he has to wait for the third. And for like a straight week, he greeted Elise when she came home from work with, I have to tell you what happened in this book. Oh, my gosh. Like he was about to start hitting her with his e-reader. He was so into it. <laughs> He wanted to ask, wanted me to ask you, yeah, um, if you had plans to expand into the other clans, like the giant killers. Like, if you're going past book three, are you going to move into the other clans at all? You know, I've thought about that. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, when I started writing, I wasn't sure. You know, it was like they were kind of background, but the more I wrote, the more interesting they became to me. Um, you know, just like the giant killers is one. Cause I got that biker attitude. Yeah. The other one that I, um, and I could kind of see like a hero from them who's not really into the, being that dumb and being that Thor, <laughs> yes. you know, and, the fact and that then, all the Thor guys are dumb. It just gives me so much amusement. <laughs> Who's stealing yeah. my food? Where's my food? <laughs> did I eat it? Where'd it go? <laughs> well, you know, Thor, Thor, I, you know, it's like, I've seen it's once again, I've seen, well, I was fascinated when I read about Thor because one of the, research books I read was like Thor killed giants. That was his big thing. Like he, he didn't care if they were children, adult women, he just killed giants. And that's kind of where I got the giant killer name from. Right. And so it was, I was fascinated. I thought, well, you know, and then he would dress up as a woman sometimes to, which I thought, how ridiculous must he look as a woman? <laughs> Cause he's just, you know, like, just, like he's like the mountain from game of Thrones. And so, you know, and, and so I kind of ran with the dumb aspect of it, you know, but I thought maybe kind of have like a smarter guy. Cause I do like my men smart and, you know, I can't really do much with real dumb. And, um, <laughs> and so, and then I, you know, I also kind of was interested in, um, the claws of Ran cause you know, I discovered there was, uh, you know, this goddess who pulled drag ships down and there were nine, um, daughters who dragged ships down there and they would call the claws of Rand because Rand was a goddess and these were their daughters, her daughters. And so they dragged the ships down and I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. So when I started writing them, they became more interesting. And so I might, I really don't know, you know, what's ahead. Cause you know, it's like, I haven't really 
kind of gone any farther at this point. I, right. You know, it's like I was like, let me just get the three done. Let me just get the three done, and you know, I pound them out, and and now it's kind of up to the publisher what he direction they are going to want to go. You know, if they want to stick with it, if they want to try something new, I'm not sure yet. So, well, we uh, we want more crows. Okay, <laughs> please. I will I will start calling everyone at Kensington more crows, please. <laughs> One of the things that Alicia, Rye, and I were talking about when we were discussing this book by basically yelling at each other about them was she pointed out that when you when the characters find their sister crows, it's it's part of being in their second life. And yes. it's almost like they become who they really are when mm-hmm. they are reborn with Skald. Yes. Is that true for all of the characters or is that particularly true for the crows? Because they they come out of stories where where the where the women are are hurt or killed in horrible victimizing ways yeah for you know for jace it was definitely true her true self was allowed to find she was finally free of that cult yep. and she's finally free of that world and she's finally free of her husband you know her ex-husband yes and and now she had these sisters who understood her and accepted her and except for rachel but rachel's her own unique girl and yeah. and we're, <laughs> It's so funny when you read these characters and you're like, yeah, I know somebody like that. Yep. Yeah. I know somebody like that too. Just can't let it go. She just nope. can't let it go. And, you know, and now she's allowed to be who she is. And, you know, she wants to be under a table. They're fine. Like, whatever. She's, oh, yeah, she's under a table reading. They, they don't care. Um, but with, like, Erin, Erin was who she was before. Yeah. And who she is now. Like, you know, if she, before she had skull powers, she probably would have said the same crap to Odin. She probably would have done the same thing with the apple. She probably would have done, you know, like, she just wouldn't have cared um with you know and with um god i'm sorry uh kita yeah (laughs) kara kara i'm sorry um the first one yeah i'll be honest with you i i I have to have a window open with the with the books because i get the titles mixed up like one is loose and one is leash and then there was undoing and and i'm like i i think well i remember the guy with the white sweatshirt was first but i don't know what word goes with that so (laughs) please do not worry because my my brain is even worse so anyway oh god yeah i well i have adhd so i'm like lucky i can remember anything i literally have to have like i have lists everywhere in my office with you know lists of names and i have them written on the board behind me so i can look and kind of remember mine myself because i I just, there's so many names and so many characters from so many series. I just can't keep them all straight anymore. <laughs> but Kira, um, you know, she was a Marine before yep. and she was a Marine after, even though yep. she was a crow now and she did learn to embrace it. She still was a Marine, which worked for her, you know, and, and you'll see in the third book, it's really that mixture of the crows and the Marines was perfect for her. Yes. Um, but, you know, so there's it depends really on the characters There's some who have been hiding in the shadows and then this thing happens to them and they go in this new life and it blossoms. But um, but it, I think in other ways, about like for Erin, even though she's the same sh- as she was, her career as a tattoo artist really took off once she became a crow. You know, that's where her, her artistic endeavors could really flow. She got her own shop and she just. Everything yep. just you know came from there, so it kind of depends. But it's like now you have the second life, and I think it you know, and maybe once again it goes back to my mom. It's like, you know, before she was hurt, she was, um, you know, she was a little more uptight. She's, you know, things she'd set her off. You know, she'd mm-hmm. get. Man, I gotta tell you, once she got shot, I remember I went to her, and I, I had my dad had got me a like a gold, like a nice little gold chain, you know. But I was, you know, a responsible girl and I couldn't find it. And I was I went to her like practically shaking, like, I can't find the gold. And she, she went, oh, that's all right. We just don't tell your father. 
And I was shocked because I thought she was going to be like, you know, you're irresponsible. You never pay attention. You lose things. What is wrong with you? I thought we were going to have that whole drama. And it wasn't like that at all. She was just like, eh. Uh. And I was shocked. And I realized that how much she had changed after being shot because they had almost lost her. She had almost died. And she realized that. And she realized that some stuff just didn't matter anymore. Yep. You know, whether if I lost a gold chain, who cares? I'm still her daughter. I'm still standing. I'm healthy. I'm, you know, she's alive. Dad's alive. Everybody's alive, you know? And yep, so okay. for her, yeah. And so that's kind of, I think, where I was coming from in the sense that, you know, you lost your life. And, and these women do die. Like they, they take their last breath, they die, and Skull brings them back. So they really experience death. Because I read somewhere, someone had a review somewhere and she said something like, you know, the saving her, she was, you know, from her death. And no, she did die. Jace did die. Yeah. And, um, and she was just brought back by a skull. And so this is their second life and this is their chance to embrace it and to do whatever they want and live however they want as long as they're, you know, keep their commitment to skull. She allows them to do whatever they want to do. And, and actually with the first, uh, the first book, Hunting Season, um, when I wrote the, the character, the heroine for that book, she started off as, you know, she was poor. She was abandoned in like a trash can or a dumpster or something as a baby. And she was raised by nuns and that whole thing. And she became like a, a drug dealer and, and she did gun running. And then she helped two cops and she got shot. And she dies and Skull brings her back. And then by when the book starts, now she's a, a professor uh, at a New York City university who um, teaches um, like history and uh, she has her PhD and yep. she's a published author. And that's where kind of, you know, because now she had this chance to, to really, they, they, they not only embrace who you really are, but also they help you. So they helped her go to school. They helped her get degrees and, and paid for that, you know, college education that a lot of people can't afford these days. And um, so that's kind of what they do in order to, you know, give these women a chance to be who they really have always wanted to be, but didn't have the chance because of circumstances, because of life, because of the way they were raised, whatever. Right. And, and they had the ability to be fearless and they learned how to be fearless. Yeah. And not question what was going to happen. Right. Because, well, people were going to help you if you needed it. Yeah. Because they always had they always had their backup. They always had they always did like like I would say, crows never fight alone. Yes. And it's it's sort of like the, the antidote to to systemic racism and rampant, you know, just all of the discrimination that tilt, tilts the scales in favor of one group over another. That's all gone. Yes. Plus, you have wings. Yes. And you're <laughs> super brutal and violent and can kill people very easily. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. So I have one last question that I always ask every guest. Sure. Um, and I didn't warn you about this one ahead of time. So if you're like, oh, crap, I don't know what the answer is. Um, that's totally cool. But I wanted to know, I know you're finished with the book. You finished it. Yeah, you finished the book. What are you reading right now that you want to tell people about? Oh, well, I just finished Lolita by... Uh, Nabokov? Yes. Which surprised me <laughs> because huh. I've seen the movies first. Right. I've always, you know, I'm, I'm a classic 80s kid. I was raised, you know, my mom was like, you're making too much noise. TV, put me right in front of it. <laughs> so oh. I was like, hey, you know, that's how I was raised. So um, so I was, I'm always one of those people who was like, I haven't read the book, but I saw the movie. Yeah. So I saw both. I saw the Stanley Kubrick version, and then I saw the one with um, Jeremy Irons later. Right. And I loved them. Um, and then so I read the book kind of expecting this, a similar story, and I was shocked to find out that, Humbert Humbert is actually a full-on pedophile. Like, in the movies, he just sort of 
like he meets this young girl who of course looks more like she's 15 or 16 as opposed to a 12 year old. Right. And, um, but it, it seemed like it was this one off, like, Oh, you know, as opposed to this full on pedophile from the book who talks about his nymphettes and yep. try to be around other children. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute. And I was completely freaked out. Cause I was, it just, I wasn't expecting it. And I, I don't usually go out of my way to read books of pedophiles. And so, you know, I mean, it was, it was good, but it was, you know, a little bit off putting. Um, so. Just a little. Yeah. And so, and then I moved into a book. Um, I, I just started about rampage killers. <laughs> as, you, as you do. As one does. Getting as ready I for do. another crow book, clearly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. I, I've always, always, I think back in the 90s somewhere, I started reading books. Oh, the first, it was like this book. I remember I bought this book. It was called um, Girls Do It Too, uh, Encyclopedia of Female Serial Killers. <laughs> okay. And I was fascinated. And then the author had also done uh, a, another series called Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, which is literally just two books about which were filled with all the serial killers, like from A to Z right. and all their crimes. Okay. And I read them and I became kind of obsessed because I felt like the more I knew, the less chance I had of being killed by a serial killer. And <laughs> That was my logic at the time. And then I remember reading uh, a really good, I, it felt like it was a woman's page, you know, like her thesis, right. but it was, it was a very good book called Cannibal Killers. And oh I was God. horrified. Do, do, yeah. Do you I was sleep? horrified. Huh? Do you sleep? Well, this was the thing. I learned in that, with that book, not to read before I went to bed. Yeah. Because I was reading it oh, in God. bed and I, my, I was married at the time. So my ex-husband was in his office and suddenly he heard this little, like, you know, I called his name and it was a tiny little voice. And he goes, are you calling me? I said, yeah. He goes, what? And I said, I just want to make sure you can hear my muffled cries because I was so terrified as I read this freaking book. So <laughs> horrified. But I became kind of like interested in sociopaths and, and um, extreme malignant narcissists. And, you know, I, I, so I find I read a lot of books like I just, oh, the, the narcissist next door. Great book. I just read that a couple of months ago. Uh, the sociopath next door. Excellent book. That's an old one, but it's really good. Like I love stuff like that. Cause it's, I love getting into my, as I call it my, I'm an armchair therapist, you know, I'm armchair forensic psychologist. I sit back and yes, I watch my dateline. I go, yeah, that person's a narcissist. I can tell. I know the signs, <laughs> you know, and I feel so pompous and, you know, full of myself because it's just me and the dog who could care less, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's what I'm reading right now. I, I've now moved into Rampage Killers, and <laughs> which is fascinating, but disturbing and sad at the same time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I do. I read a lot of, you know, very that's weird. Funky stuff. Some funky stuff. I, you know, and every once in a while I'll throw something, you know, light in there, you know, like good horror novel or a good you know mystery or you know sort of romance I read less romance now than I used to I mean a lot less like when I first I was reading romances but now it's it's gotten kind of like you don't want to feel like you're start reading somebody's stuff and are you going to take it by accident and you know like you don't even yeah. want to get into that so you end up kind of reading less and less except for the ones you really love like you know I love Nora Roberts so I'll pull out a Nora Roberts when I need a romance or something like that because you just don't want to feel like you're because our, our styles are so different that I don't worry that um, I might take something wrong because <laughs> we write such different work you know right and so I so I don't read any paranormal romance at all I read just straight kind of modern day romance I completely understand. You're certainly not alone in that. And that is all for this week's episode. 
Thank you so much to Shelley Lawrenston for joining me on the podcast. This has been such an incredible treat for me. And I also want to thank Vita Engstrand, her most excellent publicist at Kensington, who was instrumental in making this happen. I am so very thankful that I got to have this conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This was so exciting for me. And if you are curious about any of the books that we mentioned or any of the things that we talked about, all of those links will be in the show notes at smartbitches.com slash podcast. Or, you know, if you want smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast or sb-tb.com slash podcast. I got a lot of URLs because if you're going to start a blog, please do. But I would recommend against profanity in the URL because if I knew then what I knew now, I might have chosen a slightly different way of referring to the site, although I really do like the name. Anyway. This podcast is brought to you by Clean Break, a new novel from Abby Vegas that blends chiclet and romantic suspense into one irresistible New York story. Bridget Jones meets Beauty and the Beast. The Walt Wall Books blog reviewed it as amazing, saying once in a while you run across a book and you just really connect to it like the author knew exactly the kind of book you loved and hit it spot on. This was one of those books. And Feeding My Addiction Book Reviews says if there was an award for breakthrough author, I would nominate Abby Vegas. Clean Break is on sale everywhere, and you can read the first 10 chapters for free at abbyvegasauthor.com. The podcast transcript this month is sponsored by Kensington, publishers of Chasing the Heiress by Rachel Miles in the new Zebra Shout imprint featuring rising stars of romance at an affordable price of $4.99. Rachel Miles' witty and sexy Regency romance series centers on the intelligent, outspoken, and talented ladies of the Muses Salon, and the gentlemen who strive for the love of a lady who knows her mind. In the second installment, an heiress on the run from an arranged marriage uses her medical training to disguise herself as a sick room maid, where an injured spy finds himself in her very capable care. Chasing the Heiress is on sale now wherever books are sold. My dog would like you to know that Chasing the Heiress is on sale and that he is very much in favor of the decision that you can find it at any ebook store doing on-the-fly translation here. You see, normally I would take this out, but apparently when my pets are in the podcast, you guys are like super into it. So hey, I'll just leave my super annoying dog who has been quiet all morning, except right now, in the show. Or could you be done? Just, just be done now. I am sure a large squirrel is about to take over the neighborhood. I think that's what's happening here. I hope you enjoyed this super unprofessional outro. I have been told by many of you, you really like it when my pets show up and gosh, are they determined to be here today. All right, back to the outro, which is, as you know, a word. If you are a regular listener or reader of the transcripts, or you're like a huge fan of my pets, which I am not right now, and you would like to support the show, you can have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com smartbitches. For monthly pledges, starting with as little as $1, you will be helping me make some seriously important goals like transcripts for all of the episodes that don't have one and some minor and major equipment upgrades. You can see the rewards and the options at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And for everyone who has already backed the show, thank you so much. I have compliments coming up in just a bit. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies. This track is called The Real North, and you can find it at Amazon or iTunes or wherever you like to buy your music. And I'm sure you like to buy music because, well, I mean, Pete Bog, right? Right? Right. Okay. And now it is time for some compliments, which this is so much fun. This one is for Janet. 
There is a song in every musical genre that talks about how great you are. To Elizabeth, you are better than rock and paper and scissors and chocolate. Also Elizabeth, but a more different Elizabeth, you're the cat's pajamas, the bee's knees, and the dog's favorite person. And Kate, you're better than cake, even the cake with buttercream roses the size of Volkswagens, which I love because buttercream is my favorite food. To everyone who's taken a look at the Patreon or has sponsored it or made a pledge or even just read it and passed the link along, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Future podcasts will include me talking about romance novels, possibly with other people. And if you're a Patreon sponsor or supporter, you know that I have another big upcoming interview coming very soon and I'm super excited about it. Plus, I have the 200th episode. I can say 200th. Seriously, I'm not even just going to do outtakes. I'll just leave these in because y'all enjoy them so much. (laughs) I have the 200th episode of the podcast coming up and I am amazed that I have reached 200. Can I please say thank you for listening? It is a huge compliment to me that I will run into someone at a conference or I'll get an email from someone and they'll say, you are part of my every Friday and I love your show. That's just the best. Thank you so much. So on behalf of Shelly Lawrenston, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to talk to her. <clears throat> Squish the super ridiculous 13-year-old back inside my body. <clears throat> on behalf of Shelly Lawrenston and Kensington Publishing who helped me put this interview together and me and everyone here, including my dog, We wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.